All right, all right, grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles and turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter number three. Ecclesiastes chapter number three. Uh, while you're turning, I want to read a couple more of uh, the youngins' prayer requests. How many of y'all remember the book last week? Dear God, dear God, if they could tell God anything. My great uncle Joe died about a week ago. My dad passed away when I was really young. These are all different children, guys. I lost my best friend, my Gigi, and my papa all in the same month about two years ago, and I cannot move on. I'm dealing with the loss of a loved one and a loss of my best friend. My dad passed away and my mom hasn't been there. I see everyone with their parents, and I don't have mine. I'm struggling with losing my mama when I was younger. I haven't got over it yet. My mom passed away with cancer and has changed my whole personality and how I act. I'm grieving over my grandpa's passing. My cousin took her own life in front of me, and I can't stop thinking about it. And it just, it gets worse. Uh, Say, preacher, why would you even read that? Because sometimes we don't realize what they're going through because what you see on the outside is not what's on the inside. And so I, I just want you to take this seriously and understand that, that our kids need help. Our kids need help. More specifically, more specifically, our kids need you. Our kids need you, all right? Ecclesiastes chapter number three and verse number one. If you're there, say Amen. To everything, there is a season, a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. Would you read verse four with me? A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful for the opportunity to come and, and be encouraged, be edified, be educated. Uh, Lord, be challenged and convicted. Uh, Lord, we want nothing more than to be able to help our little ones. And I pray that you'll please speak to our hearts. Lord, I know in this crowd, as large as it is, uh, there's not only people here that need to help someone that's grieving, but there's somebody in here grieving. And God, I pray that we can be an encouragement and a help to both. And God, we'll be careful to give you the glory and you the praise. Thank you so much for our salvation. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. Father, I pray that you'll fill my mouth with your words. Don't let me say anything I'm not supposed to. And don't let me forget anything I need to. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. These verses come from the smartest guy that's ever 
lived, ever been born, before or after, besides the Lord Jesus, obviously. Solomon had supernatural wisdom. And, he, and he's really given a lot of truth in a short set of verses. Uh, to everything, there is a season. A season. Uh, we can learn a lot just from that one word. A season is temporary. A season comes and and goes. He says that death is as much a part of life as birth. He said there's a time to be born and a time to death is as much a part of life as birth. But not just death, but what he says in verse number four, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Grief, as much as we hate it, as much as we, uh, as painful as it is to deal with and go through, grief is as much a part of life as joy. And, and it's, not, it's not if we're going to experience it, it's when we're going to experience it. And, and we have to know this. I hate cliches, but we have to know that if God brings us to something, he will bring us through something. And, and so I want to, I want to help you with just a few things tonight that will not only help you, but it'll help you help somebody. He said, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn. Y'all get with me. Verse four. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn. What is mourn? To mourn is to express grief or sorrow. In other words, and he says he uses the word weeping. Weeping is the outward manifestation of grief that's on the inside. Grief is what you feel. Mourn is what you do. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now say it with me. Grief is what you you feel. And mourn is what you, what you do. It is the expression. It is the expression of what's inside. Now, the crazy thing is there's no cookie cutter mourning. It, we don't all mourn the same way. Mourning is not uh, identical when it comes to that. We may all feel the same pain, but we don't always express it in the same way. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And so let's look at a few things here tonight and pray that the Lord will help us. First of all, I want you to see the recognition of grief. The recognition of grief. Two, two things, two specific things I want to I point out about grief is first, A, grief and its pain. I want you to write that word down, pain. Grief and its pain. The definition of grief the definition of grief, the pain of mind produced by loss, misfortune, injury, or evils of any kind, sorrow, regret. Now watch this, watch this. An involuntary emotion experienced when you lose something or someone that is valuable to you. I want everybody to underline that word involuntary. In your notes right there, underline involuntary. What is involuntary? It means you didn't volunteer. 
Okay, it's, it's simple. Uh, I didn't ask for this. I didn't, I didn't start this. I didn't flip a switch. And you say, why is that so important? Because you, you got to understand, you just can't turn it off. And I'm not speaking as much to the person grieving in this moment as the person dealing with someone who is grieving. Because many times we'll think, well, well, they should be over it by now. Well, that's the dumbest thing you could ever say. Well, 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 why don't they just get over it? Why didn't we think of that? Anybody found that button yet? Has anybody found the get over it switch yet so you could go ahead? I, I promise you, I promise you to everyone that's getting impatient with someone that's grieving in your family or grieving around you, they don't want it more than you don't want it. Are y'all with me? It's involuntary. It's involuntary. That means you just can't turn it off. It's not something you just fix. It's not just something you just get over. Listen, Genesis chapter 37, Jacob, Jacob has brought his, his sons brought him the coat of his son, Joseph. How many of y'all remember that story? They threw him in a pit, sold him, took his coat of many colors, ripped it to shreds, put blood on it to make it look like he was attacked by a wild animal. And Jacob is grieving. He says he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But what? He refused refused to be comforted. And he said, this is what he said. Now, we're going to come back to this. We're going to come back to this at the end of this uh, lesson. He said, I will go down into the grave unto my my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Here's basically what he said. I will go to my grave mourning over my son. I will never be happy again. I'll never be happy again. And, and so we feel the pain. And I don't have to preach this because everybody knows this. It's obvious. If you've lost anything, if you've ever experienced grief, you understand the pain. So secondly, I want you to understand this. Not just the pain of grief, but the process. Grief is a process. Grief is not accidental. Grief is not a mistake that God made that his, his, his creation has to go through. It is a process. Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross suggested a journey of grief, one with many twists and turns. But it's important to understand that the grieving process is not some neat progression. A person may repeat a stage or skip one and go right into another. In the stages she listed was first shock. Shock over, I can't believe this is happening. There's, there's, There's no way this is happening. Then denial, then denial, then anger, anger. All of these are emotions. All of these are expressions of what you're feeling on the inside. There is depression many times. And then acceptance and return to life. Now, as she said earlier, we don't, we don't, we're not shocked and then we deny it and then we get mad about it. And then we're depressed about it, and now we get over it. There are some days you're going to be angry. 
And then there's days that you're going to be good for two or three days. And you're going to think, man, I got this. And then you're going to smell a perfume or a cologne or you're going to see a commercial and you're going to be triggered and you're just going to go into a darkness. And you may face depression and then back to anger. And then, and then there's going to be feelings of acceptance for a day or two or week or more. And it's just a cycle. And, and you need to understand that is normal. That is normal. You're no less of a weak Christian. You're no less of a Christian. You're not, it doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're not a strong person. And it doesn't mean that you're mentally weak or you're, you're, you're emotionally unsound. It just means you're human. You're human. And this process goes on and, and it seems to space out uh, uh, from my experience, the, the longer the days go by, the more accepting days you have and the more, more good days you have than bad days. But understand this, understand this, a trigger can happen, a trigger can happen, and it can throw you for a loop six months in, six years in. But listen, it's part of a process, all right? It's a process, and we'll talk more about that in just a second, all right? <clears throat> number two, number two, keep in mind. Keep in mind, counselors will tell you that the grieving journey is long and slow. Long and slow. Please understand this. If you're going through this, that there are known and even predictable stages of, of phases of this journey you must travel. It's in reference to the five. So, number two, reasons for grief. Some of the things that we see, what, why, do we, why are we feeling what we're feeling? First of all, A, we see a cause. The number, one, the number one cause of grief is a loss of a loved one, a death. It's the most common. It's the most common. It's, the, it's the, probably the number one on the list. But then a loss of possessions. Someone loses their life savings. Someone loses their home in a fire or a flood. Uh, a loss of possessions, a loss of material things can cause someone to go into grief. The loss of health. The loss of health. Um, I, have seen, I have seen multiple people who have got chronic pain issues and in, in because of uh, surgeries that did not go the way they were supposed to, nerves were cut, and now they are in, in chronic pain and they go through a grief process because of a loss of health. Uh, soldiers, soldiers losing limbs in war and, and coming back and having to grieve the life they used to have. Uh, multiple, multiple ideas, multiple areas, and, and you, you have seen it, you have seen it both, an athlete, an athlete that loses his health due to injury and cannot, cannot play the sport he used to play. The loss of position. The loss of position. Not getting the promotion they were counting on or the job they needed badly. Loss of relationship. Uh, I would say, I would say our, our young people 
many times the number one and number two issues that they struggle with is number one and number five, or the first one and the last one. Uh, it's either a loss of a loved one, a loss of a family member, a loss of someone that was very close to them, uh, that was uh, a confidant, uh, a loss of somebody that was a, a good friend, or a relationship. And that relationship can be a, a, a best friend that's of the, of the same sex or a boyfriend-girlfriend situation. And, and understand this, and, 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 and I've, I've, I've said it, I've heard it said, it's been said to me, uh, there'll always be another one. Uh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You'll have, you'll have, uh, you know, whatever. And, and it's taken lightly. We can't do that. We can't do that because grief, grief, the pain's real. No matter if we think they're going to meet a new friend tomorrow, it's real today. It's real today. And they need to know that we take it seriously. They need to know that we take their feelings seriously, that we take their pain seriously. And you say, why do we need to do that if we know it's silly and they're just going to have a new friend tomorrow? Because you want them to be able to discuss it with you. You want them to be able to talk to you about it. You want to be able to help them with it. Because if you keep dismissing it, they're going to stop telling you stuff. And then when you really need them to speak up and tell you something, you know what they're going to think? He's just going to he's just going to dismiss it. Are y'all with me? So, so all of these are areas. All of these are areas that will cause grief. Loss of a loved one, loss of possessions, loss of health, loss of position, and loss of relationship. But what do we need to understand? What do we need to understand about the process of grief? It is for the purpose, the conclusion, the cause is heartache, the pain, the feeling. The conclusion is healing. God allows grief for the purpose of healing. And I know that sounds crazy because it hurts so bad. Uh, but surgery's painful, y'all. Y'all with me? We, we, we have to understand sometimes in order for us to feel better, we have to go through a little pain. And, and this is not, you know, we're not going to tell, we're, I'm telling y'all, I'm not going to tell a teenager, hey, look, surgery hurts too, so you're going you know, to get over this. But I'm telling you, and I'm, I'm helping you understand that this is not an accident. This process of grief is not something that just slips up on us. God planned it this way. What does grief, what does, what does grief cause? It causes pain. What does pain cause? It causes mourning. What does mourning cause? It causes weeping. It causes weeping. I've, I've, I've said this before. How many of y'all, how many of y'all, uh, how many of y'all know what a water heater is? <clears throat> okay. How many of y'all taking a hot shower? A water heater calls that. Okay. At the top of a water heater, at the top of a water heater, there's a valve there's a valve. It's called a high, is it a high pressure valve? Is that what it's called? Pop-off valve. Pop-off valve. In other words, when it gets too hot or it gets too much pressure, it pops and it leaks. Your weeping is a pressure relief valve. 
Have you ever, have you ever thought about this, that when you're in great sorrow, great pain, and you just have yourself a good, and what happens? You feel better. What happens? You let off some pressure. You see, this is God's design. This is God's design. Well, God must not like me if I'm weeping. No, God has given you that to help you. To help you, okay? The conclusion is healing. Look what he says. Look what he says. Ecclesiastes 3.1. To everything there is a season. A time for every purpose under the heaven. There is a time to weep. And a time to laugh. A time to laugh. Guess what? You can laugh during grief. And it helps. A merry heart, a merry heart doeth good like a, a medicine. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. Grief is a healing mechanism. Say that with me. Grief is a that God has given us to cope with the difficult life that we are having to live while we're here on this earth. It is a coping mechanism. All right, I want to do two things here. I want to do two things in this second second part of this, uh, uh, or second half, third part, whatever, how you want to say it. I want to address two groups of people, Okay. First of all, I want to I address the people who are trying to help the one grieving, all right? I want to address the minister. We'll call you the minister, all right? Minister just means a servant. You're trying to serve someone. You're trying to help someone. You're trying to encourage someone who is grieving, okay? And then the second part is what I want you in here that is grieving, what I need you to know, what I need you to know. Are y'all with me? Say amen. All right, first of all, the response of the minister. The response of the minister, Bob Russell, a preacher in Louisville, took a survey of those who've gone through the grieving process, and they gave 10 practical suggestions of do's and don'ts to help you help someone who is grieving. Number one, say it with me. Say it again. Now, here is our worry. Here's our worry. When it comes to that, uh, we worry, I don't know what to say. say. I don't know what to say. Uh, uh, find somebody, find somebody, Dustin or one of them, and, and I printed off a, a poem. I need that poem. It's the friend who stands by. I might have printed it off. I might not have. But I need to, if I didn't, look it up and print it off for me. A friend that stands by. All right, now watch. Now watch. It feels awkward. It feels awkward. I, I don't know what I'm going to say. What if I say the wrong thing? Let me tell you, everybody this. The worst thing we can do when someone is grieving is to do nothing. nothing. It's to do nothing. Because here, here's what happens. Here's what happens. You cause the person that's grieving to think you don't care. Now, the person grieving doesn't realize they don't have a class for this stuff in school. They don't have a class to tell you, okay, here's how you, 
Here's how you deal with someone that's grieving. Here's what to do. Here's what not to do. Here's what to say. Here's what not to say. We, we just don't have that. Unless we come to something like this, we're not going to have that information and we're not going to know it. And the worst thing we're going to do, we're going to fear of saying the wrong thing and making it worse so we just don't do nothing. Well, the bad part about that is, is when we don't do nothing, then they have to think why you ain't coming. And, the, and, and I promise you this, when you're hurting, you always assume the worst. So the worst thing to do is not do nothing, all right? Uh, don't avoid them. Don't avoid them. Number two, say it with me. Say it again. These people said consistently that the person who helped them most, hallelujah, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, you might want to tell the rest of them that's running around here trying to find that right there. They know them? Okay, all right, perfect. All right, say it one more time. Number two. These people said consistently, the people being surveyed, the people that had gone through grief and were helped by people, this is what they said consistently, that the person who helped the most was the close friend who was just there. Sitting next to them or just close by, just listening. Just listening. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in my office with someone that was just going through it. And they come in and I say, how can I help you? And they start. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm. Wow. Mercy. 45 minutes later, preacher, thank you so much. You have helped me so much. And that's all I said. You know what? Somebody listen. Somebody listen. Watch this poem. This is great. B.Y. Williams. He wrote this poem, The Friend Who Just Stands By. When trouble comes, your soul to try. You love the friend who just stands by. Perhaps there's nothing he can do. The thing is strictly up to you. For there are troubles all your own and paths the soul must tread alone. Times when love cannot smooth the road, nor friendship lift the heavy load. But just to know you have a friend who will stand by until the end. Whose sympathy through all endures, whose warm hand clap, clasp is always yours. It helps some way to pull you through. Although there's nothing he can do, and so with a fervent heart cry, or with fervent heart you cry, God bless the friend who just stands by. You say, preacher, what can I do for my child? Sometimes just stand by. Just stand by. You say, well, I can't get him to talk. No, they can't. No, they can, and I'll get to that in a minute. Don't treat the survivor differently. Don't treat the survivor differently. For example, if you would have invited the couple to the party, then invite the widower or widow, the widow or widower to the party. This is one of the most eye-opening things I ever learned when we started One Strong. One of the very first meetings we ever had, I said, okay, ladies, 
help me help you. Tell me some things that we need to know. Tell me some things that, that couples need to know that's never gone through this. And one of, I'll never forget it. They said, preacher, it seems that when we lost our husband, we lost our friends too. Because before they would invite us out to eat or they would invite us to dinner or they invite us to come over as a couple because all of our other friends were couples and, and now I'm kind of like the odd man out and they feel awkward to invite. And so I not only lost my husband, I lost my friends. I, one, and when you get them talking, one of them said, and I don't know what they worried about. I guess they think we're trying to steal their husband. And I'm turning red. And then one said, I don't know. I don't know why they think I'd want that after I've done had filet mignon. I said, oh, dear Jesus. Oh, Lord. I'm going to tell you something. One strong is a hoop, people. But think about that. I never thought about that. I never thought that they would lose their friends. And so, hey, don't avoid, don't avoid the survivor. Uh, number four. Number four. Say it with me. All right, put stars beside that. All beside that. Circle it. Put flashing lights beside it. Blink, blinkity, blinkity, blink. It takes time. It takes time. Be patient. Be patient. You can't just turn it off. Number five. Y'all have a number five? Okay. All right. How about I read it? <clears throat> Don't think it's necessary to bring it up every time you're with them. Don't don't push it is basically what he's saying. Don't push it. Uh, when you say, hey, how are you doing? And they say, I'm fine. Don't, no, really. How are you doing? When, and this is really important with teenagers. This is really important with teenagers. If you try to force it out of them, they're going to clam up. You've got to wait on them. Now, I, you know, you, I've seen commercials where it talks about somebody dealing with depression. That, that, that's what you're supposed to do, know how you really do it. No, there's a time and a place for everything, and you've got to make sure, hey, they're good with it. And sometimes you've got to make sure your relationship is good enough with them that they can trust you with what they're fixing to tell you. Are you all with me? Don't force it. Don't force it. Be patient. Be patient. Do expect their emotions to fluctuate. This is big too. They're, the survivor is not always going to feel badly. Let them be happy. Let them be sad. Maybe all in a matter of moments. 
Let him be happy. Let him be sad. Don't, 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 don't try to control every aspect of their emotions. Or wonder why they can't control every aspect of their emotions. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Do be willing to reminisce. Do be willing to reminisce. Sometimes we, we avoid talking about it, right? We avoid talking about the loss. We avoid talking about the person. We, we think if we just stay on a different subject, we won't go here because if we go here, oh, we're going to have a, a weeping fest or a, or, or, or a... No, that's not always true. That's not always true. Uh, now, if it does happen, weep with them. That's, that's fine. But don't think because you bring them up or you bring up the loss that... Here, here's, what, here's my experience. Here's my experience. Several years ago, several years ago, uh, I was down in the lower building doing a, a memorial service and, uh, and, and, and there was family, the, the family of, of, of the person was, was sitting on my, on my left and there was, it was, it's kind of full on both sides. Well, I'm doing the service. I'm doing the service. And this has never happened forever, ever, ever. I had never seen it happen in a service. I'm sitting there leading the service going on and, and a man, I look And I'm like, uh-oh, because here's the one I've, I have learned, and I've been in a lot of memorial service. It will bring out the best in people or the I mean, I've seen it all. I'm talking about knockdown, drag outs, cussing outs, and every, I, everything you can imagine. I'm like, oh, my goodness, what is <laughs> And I look at the family, Brother Mickler sitting over here, and they went, it's okay. I'm like, sir, do you have something to say? And he just, he just told a story. He said, I remember that time, me and the individual, and he just told a memory to had, a story. And I, I, I watched the people, and it was like a, you know, they kind of smiled a little bit. And he, he, he sat down, and I'm like, <laughs> So I continued the service. I'm telling you, and 10 minutes later, God is my witness. It happens again. A lady. <laughs> right in the middle of the service. And I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I look over. I said, ma'am, do you have something to say? She stood up and said another memory, but it was kind of funny. It was kind of funny. And, and the whole congregation laughed. And this is what I witnessed in that moment. In that moment, the whole congregation, everybody in the room went. <sighs> they shared their memories, and God taught me something that day. That many times sharing our memories of their loved one brings more healing than us trying to give them a good word of encouragement. Because knowing that their loved one meant as much to you as it did to them brings healing to them. I remember when my dad told the story with Mr. Swan. Mr. Swan and my dad used to hang out all the time, and they cooked barbecue together, and they went fishing together. And at his memorial service, my dad speaking about the time they went fishing. They was fishing. They wasn't catching nothing. The duck came by, and they caught the duck, and the duck came in the boat and about running both out. 
Nobody remembered anything about the whole memorial service except for Mr. Swan, my dad, and that terrorizing duck in the boat. And they did just what y'all were doing. And guess what? I watched it again. So don't be afraid to reminisce. Don't be afraid to share, share your memory. Have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed in a memorial service, uh, right before the memorial service starts, uh, something will be on the screen. What, what, what's on the screen? Pictures. You know what that is? Picture is just a translation for the word memory. All of those are memories. And, and I've watched people because I'm, I'm nosy. And I watch people as they watch those pictures flash. And a picture will flash and they'll all look at each other and go. <laughs> you know what happened? They knew the story. They knew why he was wearing that goofy hat. Or they knew why he was soaking wet because he fell in the pool. They knew why. Are y'all with me? Healing. Don't, don't, don't be afraid to reminisce. Don't be afraid to talk to your kids about your memories. And ask them their memories. Be willing to reminisce. Number eight, do be personal in your remembrances. Do be personal in your remembrances. If you know something nice to say, say it. Your mother was so wonderful to me, or your dad's strong faith was such an inspiration to me. Number nine. Oh, by the way, let me say this. Uh, my father, I know, I know Forrest Gump said life's like a box of chocolates, but that's a lie. My father taught me a long time ago, life's like a battery. Life's like a battery. There's a positive post and a negative post. He said, son, everybody in this world, everybody in this world's got some negative things they hope nobody finds out about. And they hope everybody forgets about. He said, but everybody's got a positive post too. And say, we have an opportunity to only bring up and mention the positive things. And he said, the more often that we do that, the stronger those memories get. And the less we bring up something, what happens to those memories? The weaker they get. The weaker they get. You ever wonder, you ever wonder, well, anyway, I'm going to run a rabbit. I won't have time. Let's, we'll get to that later on another night. <clears throat> do keep your sense of humor. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to use, now, now don't be flippant. Don't be flippant, but don't be melancholy all the time either. Number 10, remember that the time, this is so big. Put some stars beside this one. Put some stars beside this one. Remember that the time you are needed most is not immediate. Now, you need to be there immediately, but it's six to eight weeks, six months later, a year later, when everybody's gone back to normal. Guess what? They're not normal. That's when they need a phone call. That's when they need a card. That's when they need a visit. That's when they need a, to be taken to lunch or to dinner or whatever it might be. That's when you're needed. I've noticed this about, I noticed this a, a lot in, at funerals or, or services that a lot of the immediate family are very tough in that moment, very guarded, very, very, you know, we're, 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 we're going to be tough for the family. Yeah. And in the immediate, 
they're able to do that when they're surrounded by people. But when the people go home, are y'all with me? It's real hard to be tough then. So just keep that in mind. Don't, don't, think, don't think your children, don't think your teenager, don't think your friend or family member, just because what you witness at the funeral, well, they've got this. Boy, they're doing so good. Boy, look, they're, 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 really, they're, they're really dealing with this. No, that's not reality. Many times, many times there's a two to three month fog where they're just going through the motions and they may look all right on the outside, but on the inside, they really need you. Church, say amen. amen. All right. All right. I'm going to give you some more of that stuff here in just a minute, but let me talk to the mourner. <clears throat> let me talk to you and hear this grieving now. There's, there's a truth to remember, a truth to remember. And sometimes in order to remember something, you got to say it over and over and over. A lot of times I read, I read the chapter or the verses when I'm going through preaching chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I've read it 50 times or more before I ever make it here. And, and I've noticed that while I'm preaching or teaching it, I'll be way over there away from my notes and I'm quoting the verse that I'm, I'm preaching. And I didn't on purpose memorize it. It just from repetition, it stuck. And, and I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something and you're going to say, well, I already know that. But sometimes you got to, you have to on purpose know that. Does that make sense? In other words, sometimes you got to remind yourself that. And tell yourself that over and over and over again. First of all, the truth to remember. The truth to remember. Grief is temporary. Grief is temporary. Say, well, it don't feel temporary. Well, it is. Ecclesiastes 3.1. To everything, there is a Season. It's not always summer. It's not always winter. It's not always spring. And it's not always fall. Listen, it's not always going to be this way. It's not always going to be this way. Psalms 30 verse 5 says, For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weep, read it with me. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. First Peter 1 6. Where where ye greatly wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation. It's temporary. I begin to think about Job. If you if you read the first chapter of Job and the second chapter of Job, and some through the middle, you'll think this guy's, his life is over. He's lost all of his children. You remember that list we started with in the beginning of this study? A, a loss of possessions, a loss of a loved one, a loss of position. Everyone on that list he went through in one, one single day. One single day. He lost everything. Then he lost his health. 
He had sore boils from the top of his head. I don't know if you ever had a sore boil or not, but that's one of the most painful things there is. And it was from the top of his head, and it specifically says that in your Bible. It says from the top of his head to the bottoms of his feet. It didn't matter whether he was standing, laying down, sitting up, standing on his head. He was hurting. He was in pain. And the pain was so great that he sat in an ash heap and would just scrape, taking broken pottery and scrape them and try to find some relief while he's mourning the death of all of his children. While he's being questioned by his friends and wondering what sin have you committed for God to do this to you? I haven't done anything. He was a righteous man. If you used to stop there, you wouldn't get the whole story. But if you keep reading through that, you got to keep reading through that. Don't stop in the middle. Because in the end, you'll find out that God turned the captivity of Job. And the Bible says he had twice as much as he had before. He got more children. Listen, God restored him in a way. How about, how about you remember we talked about old Jacob? Remember old Jacob? They brought his son's coat to him, coat of many colors, ripped all the shreds, blood in it. He said, I will go to my grave mourning over my son. I will never be happy again. Guess what? Keep reading. Because if you keep reading, you'll find out that there came a day where he was bouncing his grandsons on his knee from Jacob. He smiled again. The sun came up again. He had joy again. The devil's going to tell you in the middle of your grief that you're never going to get over this. You're never, you're never going to be happy again. You're never going to have joy again. The sun's not going to come up again. You're going to be in a fog the rest of your life. Don't you believe that lie? Amen. Listen, it's temporary. How about Ruth and Naomi? Naomi, Naomi lost her husband, lost her two sons. She went from... Uh, a joyous woman to a bitter woman said, don't even call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara for God hath dealt bitterly with me. She didn't think she'd ever be happy again. Her grief caused her bitterness. Even to the point she tried to push away the greatest gift that God ever gave her. And that was Ruth. What happened? Little, little grandbaby come along. I ain't got time to preach a story, but y'all know Ruth, Boaz, Obed. Granny got a grandbaby. Say amen. She smiled again. She found hope again. She, find, she found help again. Listen, in the first chapter, you find death, loss, Grief, bitterness. But if you go to the last chapter, listen, don't gauge your whole life in the middle. Say, I'll never be happy again. Your life ain't over yet. It's like, it's like I, Brother Craig, he always pulls this on me. You ask somebody, have you lived here your whole life? He said, not yet. 
Y'all get it? Listen, you're not there yet. Preacher, you don't know how long I've been hurting. I know. I know. But I still know the Bible's true. It says it's a season. And it will be a season. You say, well, why haven't I found relief? Your season's not over. But joy cometh in the morning. Listen, listen. Grief is temporary. B, God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not in thine own understanding. In other words, when you don't understand why you're going through this, you don't understand why you're having to deal with this, you, you just have to trust him. Amen. You just have to trust him. Amen. You got to trust that he's smarter than you, he's more powerful than you, and he knows something you don't know. Amen. You got to trust him. Isaiah said it this way, Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Let me, let me be more specific, Isaiah says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen. He's not just saying we, we're not thinking the same thing. He's saying mine's way up here and yours way down here. You got to trust me. Amen. You got to trust me. Listen, this is what Job said. Job 13, 15, he said, though he slay me, talking about God, though he slay me, yet will I Now, how could he say that? How could he say after all that he went through, after all that he experienced, after the deep grief and sorrow that he was experiencing, that he could still trust him because Job 19 tells us this, for I know my redeemer lives. I can trust him because I know he lives. I know that he shall stand at the latter day on this earth and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. I don't understand it. Job is saying, I don't know why. I don't have it all figured out. But I know he's alive, and I know I can trust him. I know I can trust him. Listen, here's some guidelines to keep in mind. Here's some guidelines to keep in mind. When we are trying to help our children, the words you choose, obviously, will vary depending on the child's age and development. But experts agree that no matter what the age of the child, here's some guidelines that you can stick to. Number one, say it with me. Follow their lead. Follow their lead. What do you mean by that? You remember earlier? You remember earlier where I said, don't push it? Don't go to them. No, no you're going to sit here and talk to me. Yeah. Good luck with that. Especially with teenagers. Don't push it. Follow their lead. You know, when they're ready to talk, they'll talk. The kinds of questions and concerns that children have can be very different from those of adults. Giving children too much information can overwhelm them. It is better to let them ask questions and then answer in the best and most developmentally appropriate way you can. Don't be surprised if your young children are mostly concerned about themselves. That is simply how young children are. It's just the way it is. 
be available, be ready. Listen, uh, how can I word this? Don't look shocked or disappointment or disappointed when they share something. Because they're scared to share it in the beginning. Are y'all with me? Hey, just take it in. Okay. The greatest thing you could do is I hear you. And sometimes, to learn this from Dr. Finch, sometimes it's good to do this. Now, let me, let me make sure I'm hearing what you're saying. And then repeat back to them what they're saying. I, I hear you. Say it with me. I hear you. I hear you. Now, now let, me, let me see. Let me make sure I'm, I'm hearing this right and, and say back to them what they've shared with you, how they're feeling, what, what they're thinking, what's going through their minds, questions they have. Make it easy to talk to. Okay? Make it easy to talk to. Y'all have heard that story I said about the guy that wanted to ride on the horse of Andrew Jackson. Y'all remember that? Y'all don't remember that? If you've never heard the Andrew Jackson story, raise your hand. Where have y'all been? All right, here's long and short. Here, here's the short, shortest way we run out of time. Andrew Jackson, y'all know who Andrew Jackson was. Okay, all right. Uh, uh, he was out with a bunch of men riding horses. One guy, one guy uh, was afraid they come to a river. This is a true story. Come to a river. And, and they were going across the river with the horses. This guy couldn't swim. He's scared to death. He's scared to death to go across because uh, he couldn't swim. Didn't think he was going to make it. He went to Andrew Jack and said, can I ride across with you? And, and he said, yeah, man, no problem. Get up here. And across the river they went. And, and later on that evening, some of the other guys came and said, do you know who that was? He said, yeah, I know who that was. He said, why would you ask him? And this is what he said. He said he had a yes face. <laughs> I want my kids to talk to me. Really? Your face ain't saying that. Your face is saying you're going to judge them before they ever get it out their mouths. And you're going to either rebuke them or not believe them. Adjust your face. If you have to use a mirror, use a mirror. I'm not kidding. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm serious. Do you have a yes face? Some of y'all, some of y'all, and I hate to, I hate to even admit this and, and confess this, but I, I did the other night. Some of y'all, uh, you know, I, I, you think I'm preaching dead at you every service, but you got a yes face. And some of you don't. If I'm scanning the, the congregation while I'm preaching and I see the old boy looks like a big old grouch and he don't like what I'm going to say, I ain't looking at him no more. I'm going to look at the one that's looking like he's liking what I'm giving him. He's got a... Now ask yourself this question. Honestly, all joking aside, when you sit down and talk with your kids and your teens, especially your teens, do you have a yes face? Do you have a face that's welcoming and it's friendly and, and, and is, 
accepting, accepting. Or here's a better word, understanding. This is one thing that many times when I would clam up as a kid, teenager, I wouldn't say anything and I wouldn't bring anything up because I just knew they would not. Are y'all with me? Okay. All right. Number two, follow their lead. Number two, encourage children to express their feelings. Encourage children to express their feelings. Do not try to protect or shelter children by attempting to hide your own sadness. They will invariably know that something is wrong, but will be left feeling alone and confused. Big, big. I'd underline that. Hiding your own grief can also make children feel like the sadness they may be feeling is bad. However, try not to let children see you at your most upset moments as they begin to worry about you and then they begin to feel insecure. How are you feeling? What do you think about that? How did that affect you? Ask questions. Learn to ask questions. And guys, there's... There's a million books that you could find good questions to ask to, to try to help your kids express what they're feeling and talk about. All right, number three, <clears throat> don't use euphemisms. Avoid phrases like passed away, gone, we lost him. Kids, kids tend to be very literal, and this kind of fuzzy language leaves them anxious, scared, and often confused. Or conversely, it may lead them to believe the deceased will come back and that death is not permanent. So, so be careful with that. Use biblical terms. Know, know where they went. Be able to talk to them about that. Share a verse with them. Number four, maintain normal routines as much as possible. Maintain normal routines as much as possible. Grief takes time, but children benefit from the security of regular routines and knowing that life goes on. They need security from regular routines. Security is big for kids, guys. Uh, I was reading a, a research report one time. They, they, they researched, uh, uh, I believe it was kindergartners, if I remember right. It was... It was very young, young children. Uh, and they, they, they put them out in a field with no fence. And, and, and even though they had toys, even though they had stuff out there, they were just very anxious, nervous, and seemed to be insecure. They put up a fence to fence in the area, and they went wild. Because they felt secure. And many times, kids will be more prone to share their feelings or more prone to speak up if they feel secure. secure. All right? Memorialize the person who died. Remembering is part of grieving and part of healing. This, in, this can be as simple as sharing memories of the person who died or bringing up the name of the person who died so that your children knows it's not taboo to talk about and remember that person. 
It is important to keep photos around. Now, most of the stuff we talked about is from a death, uh, the perspective of grief from a death, but you can use the same material for any of the five. But here's one thing that's probably most important, probably most important. And I got something else for you, so don't, don't, don't shut your mind with your paper, all right? This is for you guys in here that are grieving, and this is for you to remember for your, your young people. Read it with me. We might not. All right, stop. Say it again. Never again tell a grieving person you should be over this by now. Never. Never. Number one, you don't have the right to say that because you're not the one going through it. Okay? Never say they should be over this by now. All right? Guess what? You will never be over it. You will never be over it. But this is what we can say. This is what we can say. But we can. We might not get over it, but we will get through it. We will get through it. Now, I want to I I play this little video. I want to play this little video for you real quick, and we'll, we'll be dismissed. I know we're going a little long, but here it is. If you've ever lost someone, you've probably asked yourself, will the pain of this grief ever really go away? I'm a clinical psychologist and I want you to imagine for a moment that this black mark is your grief. You've probably heard that old saying that time heals all wounds, but with grief, that wound doesn't just heal over and disappear. It doesn't even get any smaller. What happens is over time, as we begin to engage with this new reality, we build new experiences around it. There are still moments of deep pain and sorrow, There are also moments of new joy, love, and purpose. And as those new layers of your life build around your grief, your life grows around the pain, so that even though it's still there, you can still create a life that is beautiful and meaningful to you. All right. I want you to play it again. I want you to play it again because I don't get nothing the first time. All right. Y'all saw it. Now, Now, really focus on what she's saying. If you've ever lost someone, you've probably asked yourself, will the pain of this grief ever really go away? I'm a clinical psychologist, and I want you to imagine for a moment that this black mark is your grief. You've probably heard that old saying that time heals all wounds, but with grief, that wound doesn't just heal over and disappear. It doesn't even get any smaller. What happens is over time, as we begin to engage with this new reality, we build new experiences around it. There are still moments of deep pain and sorrow. There are also moments of new joy, love and purpose. And as those new layers of your life build around your grief, your life grows around the pain, so that even though it's still there, you can still create a life that is beautiful and meaningful to you. You know, you know what she just said? You don't get over it. You, you get through it. And as your life grows and you add experiences and time goes by, you build around it and God gives you a life where you can smile again. And God is faithful. 
God is faithful. And all God's people say it.